recording. Hey, Sarah. Hi, Mary. How are you? I'm okay. How are you? I'm okay. It's been a strange couple of weeks. Um, how how has your quarantine, well, not quarantine, how's your lockdown going? Well, I'm um, pleased to say that I'm still corona-free at this time. Um, Paul and I are doing our best to stay sane uh, indoors. I mean, the first week, the first few days, I've got to admit, like, it didn't really feel that different to me because I'm an introvert and I don't really go out much. So, yeah, I guess I didn't really feel it that much, but it's starting to feel a bit like Jack Torrance in The Shining. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what about you? Um, I think the main thing is I'm still working yeah. like from home. And everyone I work for seems to have stepped up the amount of work we're supposed to be doing. Um, So to a certain extent, my life hasn't changed apart from I'm maybe even busier, Um, which is very unfun when I see everyone on social media, like learning languages and doing yoga and like, you know, like all these like things to do articles. I just want to like scream every time I see one. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I think it's it's interesting because obviously we're currently working on a new series that's kind of about work for one thing. And yeah. I can sort of see the panic in among people who have profited and been very privileged in this like capitalist society. Yeah. Um and Absolutely. I'm kind of I'm being very optimistic that things might change after this. I know. Uh, I would, that would be really nice, but maybe that's too much to hope for. But it's true. Like, it's, it's so interesting because it's like this virus, COVID-19, has essentially forced the UK government to re-nationalize so many things. Mm-hmm. So we know that it's possible to bring things into public ownership. It's just taken this pandemic to force people to do it. And we're getting a feeling of, you know, what can actually be possible. People working remotely, disabled people being able to work from home, uh, you know, universal basic income. It's like these things are within reach, within the Mm -hmm. realm of possibility. It's just that they've been denied us for years. Mm -hmm. I think it's also, it's so interesting because in London, especially, you have this real kind of fetishization of work and people feel that they're, that, you know, what they do is such a large part of who they are. And wow. now the only people that seem to be like really needed and necessary are people in jobs that were not fetishized, like supermarket workers, yeah. cleaners, like transport drivers, all that kind yeah. of thing. The post office. The post office, like, and obviously, you know, nurses, doctors, um, people like that. But it's kind of people that were sort of made, I feel, made to feel that they that they should aspire up. Exactly. And yet they're the essential workers they're the frontline people that we depend on at a time like this mm-hmm. and they've been so badly neglected for years and I really hope that when we come out of this that we have really a renewed appreciation for work culture and hopefully our series will investigate that through the themes that we are we're going to be addressing as well and it's it's just it's such a weird coincidence that uh, this is all happening is it a weird coincidence or are we witches <laughs> exactly <laughs> yes I want to be a witch yeah yeah that's that's what it is <laughs> oh, oh gosh yeah I mean how how is your I mean obviously like this to a certain extent is like a not a mental health podcast but we do look at mm. you know uh you know we do talk a lot of it about our 
our mental health I think to a certain extent it's a psychoanalysis podcast which is slightly different we're not like wellness but yeah. how are you finding um how are you like finding it personally um it's weird because like before this happened um I was like struggling a little bit with my mental health like I I was experiencing a lot of anxiety and panic and stuff and weirdly enough since this has all happened uh my symptoms aren't as pronounced as they were that's interesting yeah and I almost feel like you know like uh melancholia like the Lars von Trier film I feel Mm -hmm. like Justine (laughs) in the end times like she was so debilitated in the first half of the film but then when the end times approached she actually was kind of prepared she mm. she was the one who was the most organized and she kind of took to it like a duck to water and I don't know whether it's just me st- having struggled for a while that I just expected bad things to happen so now when they are happening I'm like <laughs> I don't know it kind of reminded me of Lars von Trier's tagline like his unofficial tagline for melancholia was the best cure for depression is the apocalypse <laughs> I think that's probably true. I think it is. I think um, I can totally see how that works. Yeah. Um, yeah. What about you? How are you? How are you coping? Different at different times. Um, I mean, for my own personal thing is that I have something I've struggled with for a long time. It's like a, just a lack of personal space mm-hmm. um, because for a long time I've been living with my grandmother, as you know. Um, in order to like just become to sort of gain more financial stability um and so I can't live with her at the moment obviously because I'd be putting her at risk so I've been sort of bouncing around between my parents houses and that's like that is a hard thing like I think anyone can like I think anyone struggles with going home yeah uh, in that like as an adult and that's really difficult um Mm -hmm. but at the same time it's like it just puts it in perspective I know that everyone's I suppose in a way, yeah, it is comforting because I know that everyone, one way or another, is being affected by this. And in like in various different ways, it's like an existential crisis for everyone because, yeah. our, you know, I suppose the, this hasn't happened since the Second World War. But like everyone's like, every, I don't know, I feel like I've been pushing towards achieving like a bet, you know, a better life for mm. such a long time. And now all those plans are put on hold. Um, But because everyone's plans are put on hold, it makes me feel better. Yes, that is true. Yeah, I think that's, that's, and I don't know how long will our plans will be put on hold, but maybe it's good because like, I think maybe we all needed a rest from and a break from our plans and our aspirations. Yeah. And this kind of like almost uh, overwhelming pace of life that everyone had been taking on for such a long time we've just taken it for granted Mm -hmm. for everyone's pace to slow right down and we're we're kind of given this really rare opportunity to um I don't know just kind of like re-examine everything maybe even reevaluate our priorities and Mm -hmm. think more deeply about patterns that no longer serve us you know yeah I think for a while I was I you know I'd spent a little bit of time thinking you know how can I how can I get more freelance work? How can I pitch some articles? Like what, you know, how could I get ahead? And now my new thing is to stop giving myself that burden of productivity. Yes. And like the only thing I'm going to be doing is finishing things that I haven't been able to get done for months, you know, and yes. trying to just continue on with my life and dial down that need to make something of myself during 
a terrible time when lots of people are dying, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, I totally relate to that. It's made me realize that actually for too long, I'd been a very isolated person. It's kind of paradoxical that um, a quarantine, like everyone needing to isolate has forced me to rethink whether or not that's serving me. And yeah, it's, it's an interesting time. It's a lot of a lot of self-reflection. Yeah, it is interesting, and I I feel the same way about that isolation. I think it's it's easiest to like cancel your time just just having conversations with people. That's the easiest thing to cancel to make room for all of the demands that yeah. you know society places on you. Um, and I'm still doing that to a certain extent. My friend Ailish tried to call me and I said, hey, can we like have a call on Tuesday? <laughs> she said, how is it that your schedule is still so full? But I still had it in my mindset that I had to schedule in, you know, I had to keep people at bay to a certain extent. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's all very interesting. I would be, we'd be interested to know, listeners, how you're, how you're finding it and any particular existential crises you're having. <laughs> Yeah, we want to hear about your quarantine routine. Mm. Uh, yeah. And also, I put this out on Twitter. Um, I In my boredom, I compiled this like document full of home exercises. Oh, I saw that. <laughs> I've got 125 like basic exercises that you can do, like full body, like every muscle group that you can think of. I'm impressed. I'm impressed. I haven't done a single bit of exercise. Like, <laughs> And so if anyone out there wants to get this document, just like send us a message and I'll make it available. Um, yeah, I love that open. I love anything that's on the Internet at the moment that's open source, like that yeah, everyone can just yeah. have. It's really nice. It is it's nice. It's I really agree. good. Um, okay. uh, what was I going to ask? Um, have you been doing your morning pages? Yes, I have. Actually, I wanted to talk to talk to you about this. So Sarah put me up to this amazing little app um, on online called 750 Words. And it basically encourages you to do like a daily uh, writing practice, an entry of minimum 750 words, hence the name. And I have been in, in engaging and yes, I've done eight days in a row. Oh, that's impressive. At first, I, I really struggled to write, like I had like kind of almost like writer's block. But as the days have been going, because it also lets you look at your stats and how many words you write per minute and how many breaks you take and how long it takes you to finish, etc. And I've noticed that I'm getting faster every day because it's become a practice. Oh, that's impressive. I have my I have like no um, there's no like upward trajectory for me. Sometimes I'm great. Sometimes I'm terrible. Like sometimes I can't finish the words. Sometimes I have nothing to write about. One day I was just writing 250 words to go, 225 <laughs> words to go. Like, and I was, it was well, that was that was a low point. But I just I've started realizing that I almost kind of feel like I have to do it twice a day. One to kind of get ah. all of the morning anxiety out, and then two to like mark the end of my work day and the beginning of my day. Oh, wow. Okay. You know, so I think and I've started doing things like if I have an idea, I'm, I just find that I'm much more creative in the evening, but I want to carry on writing in the morning because I think that's just mm -hmm. a good time. Um, so I started writing little prompts for myself in the evening of like, oh, write about that memory or write about that idea. And then in the morning when I feel like I'm just full of anxiety and my, I'm not very creative, I have like a little list of writing prompts. 
And also it's a really, there's no bells and whistles on this website. Like there's, it doesn't distract you. It's just a blank page and a word count. And it kind of makes you focus, which I really like. Um, and I've, it, it's funny. It tells you also like the themes of what you write about. And every single day, mine says death. <laughs> Yeah, mine says, mine always says, it tells you like the mood and then what you're mainly preoccupied with. And mine keeps saying that my mood is affectionate, but I'm preoccupied with death. Oh my God, um, me too. It's really weird. And then yesterday it told me that I was being, that my mood was self-important and I felt a bit offended. <laughs> it's like, yeah, they're my morning pages. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh my God, yeah, exactly. Yeah, how rude. <laughs> like, this, is, this is my time. <laughs> Wow. Um, so how many days are you into it? I think that I'm nine or ten. Oh, nice. I had one day where I wrote under 750 words. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but apart from that, I've done it. I've done it. So, um, yeah, I'm kind of hoping that I get some kind of roundup of stats at the end of the month yeah. so that I can have like an overall, you know, what my average is, what my kind of average mood is, all of that kind of stuff. And then I will share them with you. Oh, wow. Amazing. Thank you. Likewise, I'll share mine too. Oh, cool. Um, <laughs> so the reason that we've decided the, to come and record an episode today um, is because we both took advantage of Shudder's amazing promo code, 30 days free with the code SHUTIN. Thank you, Shudder. Uh, thank you, Shudder. Um, <laughs> and we just wanted to get together and talk about what we have watched, what we're going to watch, and hopefully give people a bit of inspiration of horror movies to watch during this difficult time <laughs> <laughs> absolutely you know just to take your mind off this you know the horrifying terrifying pandemic and make you watch some nice horror content um so let's start with actually let's start with one we both watched and that's a, com a combined one mm -hmm. and then we'll do separate films that we have watched and maybe some that are on our radar yeah sounds good so it turns out, like very spontaneously, we both watched The Room. Yes, we did. <laughs> how did how did you hear about this film? Like, did you, did you discover it on Shudder? Or I only discovered it on Shudder, and I think it's because they were really kind of they seemed to be featuring it this week. Yeah. Um. So it's sort of on a big thing, and I and I was full, you know, I was just talked into it by the advertising. Um. <laughs> and also, it's exciting to see a new horror film, especially. I do like it when you find a new horror film that you'd missed in cinemas or hadn't been in cinemas, and like sometimes you have those new horror films on Netflix, and you'll find something really good just by accident. Yeah. And I think that's the overall good thing about Shudder is that it seems to have. It just it feels. I don't know like exactly what it is but it just feels like much more of a treasure trove of like good bad indifferent like new old it, I don't know it's like it's, yeah, yeah. it feels like proper cinephile goodness in that way that it doesn't seem to distinguish as long as it's horror it's on there and That's I really so like that um, yeah yeah but Room I mean me and you had a bad experience watching a film at the London Film Festival <laughs> Yeah. it almost like I, I kid you not like it almost pushed us over the edge like, it was so bad I, I could I was we were so angry we were like yeah. shaken we were yeah. questioning what was going on and that film was Vivarium which yeah, name and shame that film it was Vivarium which certain other respected people really like uh, um but which we hated yeah uh, 
I don't know if that's available to watch anywhere. I kind of want people to watch to hate watch it or to watch it and tell us what they think because I've never I've never been so appalled by a film. Same. I I felt like I wanted to commit acts of violence like in the movie theater. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it was and it was funny because like I'd been in another screening during that festival where people were quite like the audience were quite uh, vocal in their hatred of the film and I was expecting the same response in Vivarium but it was a packed th- screening and I think it was just you and me who really didn't like it everybody yeah. else seemed pretty engrossed and I was like uh, why like it, it just completely baffled me yeah I and think we I- fell over someone trying to get out like, <laughs> like I think I've <laughs> Never had a more extreme response to a film before in my life. <laughs> oh my god, I've forgotten about that. That's yeah. so funny. Um, but this, it was all. But anyway, that experience I thought was behind us, and um, and then today it was all brought back to me because. Oh my god. Because of this film, which is actually, in many respects, the same film. I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh god because the thing is like I really I do happen to like horror movies that are centered around houses like yeah. it's they're always great for like psychological investigation and the concept was good enough that I thought oh yeah like when I read that little like synopsis I was like oh yeah okay that looks good mm-hmm. um, and also the woman in it so I don't know if you remember her but she was she was a Bond girl <laughs> Yeah, I, I remember that. I recognized her from that immediately. Yeah, she's yeah. like this really beautiful Ukrainian like actor. I love I love her look. Like she's got this great Slavic look. And I thought, okay, I'm gonna really like this. And then, as it went, I, like within the ten, first ten minutes, I'm like, you gotta be fucking kidding! <laughs> like this is so bad. <laughs> I don't know. I don't. I don't even have anything more edifying to say than that. It gets, I don't know. Yeah. That's the thing. It's one of those films where, like, I don't know what compelled me to stick it out because within the first five minutes, I, like, I had called bullshit on it. Like, this is not the way couples talk to each other. Exactly. Like, this is not, like, no, no woman would wear a dungarees. Like, it would just, like, immediately change into a dungarees as soon as she got into the house. Like, even if she, even if you look like her, like, only, in, like, a narcissist would put on a dungarees. Um, exactly. Like just everything about them, everything about like how did they buy this house if neither of them are successful and make money? Like it was all like it was all just so stupid. And then it just it really bummed me out. Like Yeah, I know. And in a way it was a bit like the quarantine because they couldn't leave the house. Like they were kind of confined to their space. I thought it was funny that it had the same title as that Tommy Wiseau film, The Room. Yeah, yeah it is funny because like there's enough films called The Room now. You don't need another one. Um, but it also reminded me because there's a new horror film that looks, that's coming out that looks really good called Spiral, which yeah. is about... A, have you seen the trailer for it or the it synopsis? Amazing. Yeah, it looks really good. But there are... It's also because the Saw prequel or whatever it is, is also called, called Spiral and that's coming out and then there's that Japanese movie from like the 2000s where everyone's obsessed with spirals in like a small town oh. and then I IMDb'd it and there are about 60 films called Spiral and it's just that like at some point there should be some kind of law where you can't just keep calling films the same name 
Oh my god, it's true. But because I, there's that Brie Larson film as well called The Room, right? Yep. Yeah. Oh so my god. It's just it's too many films called The Room. Um <laughs> but the you comparing it to the quarantine is really interesting because there is this sort of like there is this moment, you know, where they get inside this room and it's you know, it's supposed to sort of like make your every wish come true. And yeah. um it's it is a little bit comparable to this idea that we're all in quarantine and we all feel like we have to write King like King Lear as the tweets are telling us. Oh my god! Um, <laughs> but you know, not all of us are capable of that kind of creativity. <laughs> and so that scene where like they seem to be like giving themselves every possible like exciting thing, like they just had yes. like like 25 bottles of champagne and a dress and also that bit where she goes in and he's like he's Uh, he's been there before her and he's got all of those like (laughs) paintings and stuff like that and then he's just like got like a white dress hanging on a hanger and it's like what why did you what did you ask for (laughs) what's that dress why who who is it what (laughs) oh my god Oh, it's so it's so silly. It's and then she silly. wears the dress. Yeah, then she wears the dress. And it's like I guess it's like he thought he was like, Can I have a dress for my wife? I don't really understand. Oh but they don't have anything they don't really like they don't really have any imagination. I suppose maybe yeah. that's what it's saying, but like consumerism dulls your imagination. But Yes, but also something that Zizek said weirdly enough, he said, um, desire is a funny thing because as soon as you get what you want, you don't want it anymore. Mm. Because like the the function of desire is that it's only really activated when you don't have it. <laughs> so in a funny kind of way, it is very Zizekian. Um, yeah. yeah. Speaking of Zizek, he's already written a whole book about the pandemic. Like, oh my God, he's unstoppable. <laughs> he is unstoppable. He's amazing. He's Shakespeare. He's the Shakespeare he of this tragedy. He really is. <laughs> Um, but anyway um, so we just wanted to we just wanted to speak about this bad film but there are lots and lots of good things on Shudder and we will get to them yeah Um, do you want to tell me your first your first uh, recommendation yeah so my first recommendation is Society Um, so this is I mean this is a film that I've had in my collection actually for a very long time and I've just never really gotten around to it. And then when I saw it was on Shutter, I'm like, oh, okay, perfect opportunity. Like, let, let me just check it out on here. So it's about a teenager who suspects that his family are part of a cabal of monstrous socialites who uh, prey on the lower classes, but like who actually like cannibalize lower classes. It's like really crazy. Mm-hmm. This is a, a 1980s film. It's directed by Brian Yuzma. Um and I really like, have you seen it, Sarah? I haven't seen it. I have heard all about it. And nothing has compelled me to want to watch it at this stage. Just the pace of the film is not what you would expect. Um, I, the, the first, I would say, half of the film is completely different to how the rest pans out. I really like the atmosphere of the first half. It's very, very uncanny. Basically, it shows someone who suspects that something is really off, off kilter in their like suburban neighborhood and that their family members are acting strange. So it starts to like really paint a picture of someone in a state of 
uh, paranoia and suspicion. So a lot of things appear uncanny because we're also wondering, like, is it all in his head? Like, is he just, uh, you know, sort of like detached from reality or is there really something going on? So it's really starting to lay down the groundworks of the conspiracy. And then it just spirals into this crazy, like, orgy of excess and greed and like it's it's almost comical like I can't say that it's scary it didn't really frighten me um it was almost like a horror satire mm-hmm. um I love the special effects um well I really didn't think it was going to be as good as it was okay maybe you've persuaded me yeah I'm, honestly, really, I'm interested have, give it a watch it's a, it's just a riot okay okay so pick one society pick one society what about you what's your um, first thing Okay, so actually my first pick is The Noonday Witch, um, which is something that I've been wanting to watch for a really long time. Um, It's 2016, and I think I heard about it then. I think it actually was might have been at the London Film Festival, and I missed it, like, years before I would have been able to get a pass. I would say it's Babadook meets Midsummer. Oh, um, okay. In that it's about... um, a parent and it's all set in the daylight it's really good I would really recommend it um oh, it's quite no. scary like considering again like again like midsummer considering it all takes place in daylight it's really terrifying and it's basically um it's very it's actually quite a similar sort of story to the Babadook it's about a widow and she moves into the village that her husband grew up in and it's kind of mainly about the stresses of single parenthood and there is this kind of local legend of the noonday witch who comes along and takes your children okay Uh, yeah yeah. um it's very good i have been waiting to see it for a really long time and it did not disappoint Mm. um it's like there's nothing in it that you haven't seen before but at the same time it's a really well executed great film um yes that's that would be my recommendation one amazing Mm -hmm. okay my second recommendation is maniac the frank calfoon film so this is actually a remake uh of i think it's an 80s serial killer movie like a horror movie about a guy who he's quite you know troubled and traumatized from his childhood and his problems lead him to murder and scalp um, attractive women. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> attractive ones. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Um, <laughs> so Elijah Wood plays the serial killer in the remake. And uh, I, I love this movie. It's The soundtrack is unbelievably good. The story is also very, I like how it's been modernized. Um, to feature the character being someone who uses dating apps to hunt down his Okay, I'm hooked. Yeah, I'm I'm in. Sarah, (laughs) totally. You love it. You'll absolutely love it. I love an internet killer. It's just, I just, it's just one of my, it's just one of my faves. I have to, I have to watch that. Yeah, Sarah, you'll love this movie. It's, it's, honestly, Elijah Wood is such good casting as well because he has such a wholesome image like outside of this movie so for him to it's perfect like because that's what people always say about serial killers oh they look so so like unassuming and so wholesome and blah 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 we never expected them to do that so it's very clever how they've repurposed his his image to cast him in this and he has an amazing range he really pulls it off he's terrifying i found this movie actually really scary 
the kills are pretty gruesome and disgusting. Like it's brace yourself for some really dis- like gross uh, murders. You know, actually, I think I was in Iceland with a friend and we like spent some time up in the mountains and then we came to Reykjavik. And one night we watched, we like agreed to watch a horror movie on Netflix and we actually selected this one. And oh. five seconds into it, he scalps someone. Like it's really quick, isn't it? The first time. Yes. And my friend turned to me and said, I don't want to watch this. And so <laughs> we watched Under the Shadow instead, which was like amazing. Yeah. But yeah, that was, so I got close to watching it once, but it was vetoed. It was vetoed within the first few minutes. <laughs> Oh my God. Well, here's your chance. This is it. Like you're honestly, I can't wait to hear what you think of it because it actually would be a really good double bill with Cam. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that's exactly, my mind went to Cam when you said that. And then also that Don't Fuck With Cats Netflix series. Oh my God. Yes. Luca Magnata. Magnata. (laughs) (laughs) Like I, I am. Like, I'm so happy because I heard the Luca Magnotta story on an episode of My Favourite Murder. And like oh. now finally, and I've just, and like now finally the world is catching up to me in that they want to talk about Luca Magnotta. So I now I'm like, <laughs> now I'm not just like the freak regaling like a table, like an uncomfortable <laughs> table full of people at the pub. Like it's a disgusting story. Now everyone knows. Um, everyone knows all the details and even more than I knew in the beginning um so I'm really happy about that <laughs> that's amazing um okay, okay so, so maybe I'm sure my second one so what about you um so my second one is revenge ah yeah you've seen this right I have, I have. yeah I really like revenge and I had my doubts about it um because um I actually watched this before I had I got Shudder but um I'm trying to kind of recommend what I think are the best things on there um and for me Revenge is like one of the best things on there um yeah I had my doubts before I watched it because the director who I think wrote and directed it uh, she she like referred to her main character as a Lolita and um, it really bums me out when people use that word, um, <laughs> like, because it's sort of strayed from its, like, I mean, I obviously know, I know that I've read Lolita, I like Lolita, I think it's great, you know, great writing, a good book, like, an interesting subject. Um, mm. But really sort of, like, annoys me when people who clearly haven't read Lolita refer <laughs> to, like, grown-up women as Lolita. Um <laughs> And it also really bums me out that you can't do a hashtag of Lolita on Instagram. And that if you Google Lolita, even if you Google like Lolita 1965 or whenever the Stanley Kubrick film was, you get uh-huh. like a warning about child pornography coming oh, up. And it's okay. like, don't Google, don't insult me. <laughs> like, I know. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that kind of initially put me off. Um, but it's just this amazing rape revenge film. Oh, where yeah. I'm just I don't think I've ever seen a rape revenge film so badass as this one. Oh my like, god me too. It starts off making you feel quite uncomfortable and then by the end of it you're just it was just so empowering and amazing what this girl does um, and I oh, really yeah. like it kind of rem- I mean it's sort of like almost infused with the supernatural because she kind of survives something that no one could survive so it already kind of elevates it to like this sort of this kind of <laughs> fantasy epic, which could just be some form of like 
last minute death you know like death narrative or something like that you know could you like wouldn't that be nice if like just seconds before you die your like brain gives you this like triumphant hero's narrative oh my god I love that yeah it's just this survival story in so many ways and it's like you just watch this woman go from sort of having like a sense of herself and an aspiration of like who she thinks she is to just learning to survive being a totally like wild person yeah um this like kind of wild like militia like terrifying soldier with just the bare essentials and what she's got around her which happens to be some kind of like peyote and a can of beer um and it's just it's just totally like she's just so resilient and resourceful and it's just it's amazing it would just make I think it will make anyone in this lockdown feel better oh agreed and it's, my favorite scene was when she's in the cave and mm-hmm. as you know when you mentioned the beer can and she ingests the hallucinogenic like substance and she can't yeah. feel pain and oh my god the stuff that she does in there and the fact that like some of the initial effects of the drug are flashbacks of her the violation you know the rape that took place but Mm -hmm. she works through it so for me it's like a really beautiful metaphor of working through PTSD and like kind of mastering your symptoms and like utilizing your terrifying uh, memories and trauma to actually like make you stronger yeah that's exactly what it is it's really well done like um I like my for me the final scene of like the slipping around in the blood like, <laughs> it's just so brilliant um because it's kind of almost like making fun of those films where women do like slip around in the blood in their underwear a bit like martyrs martyrs you know, I was where, just gonna say martyrs yeah, yeah where you know you think it's just you think it's it's sort of sort of purely oh, like totally titillating titillating yes and it's and it's just so much more. It's so wonderful. Um, oh my god! And also the fact that like some of the flesh wounds that the guys sustain almost look like vaginas, <laughs> like the foot thing. Oh, that's this, that was disgusting. That was actually disgusting. And like she inflicted that on him, and so she's in a way reflecting back her trauma onto her perpetrators. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's actually a very cathartic movie. Um, it's very cathartic I would really recommend it to anyone men and women like I think men can also find catharsis from from this film I don't think it's a gendered thing finding catharsis through the main character I really disagree with that like male gaze female gaze thing or maybe I don't disagree with it because it's it I just think you kind of become whoever you're watching to a certain extent um and it's funny actually the whole thing about the orifices and the you know the uh, I got. I spoke to my friend Bella on um, on Skype this week, and she usually she does my tarot cards. Oh yeah. And I was like, Bella, do our tarot cards, and she pulled a card for each of us in the conversation. And I'd previously been posting a lot about sex octopuses on Instagram. Oh yeah. Um, because um, I've been thinking about them a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I posted that um, um, Hokusaki, or I can't remember how to pronounce the guy's name. The you know like the classic. Yeah you know Japanese print of the squid and the woman and I wrote they'll make a flashlight that plugs into a virtual simulation of your favorite porn star but they'll never make a sex octopus because the patriarchy (laughs) and um Bella's got this amazing tarot deck that is like really sexy the illustrations are all really are like to do with sex 
and I got the Ten of Swords, which was just ten dildos, like a painting of ten dildos. Wow. And it was sort of all of and she was just like, it's all about, you know, power and how you wield it and basically that like dildos represent like this kind of phallic energy that can be really destructive but can also be really pleasurable but then they're also like not attached to anything so they're like this castrated phallic energy that you can (gasps) wield as you wish and I was like like the sex octopus (laughs) oh my god it was so funny like there's all of this um like symbolism of dicks but like but given to someone who will use them better. <laughs> the ten, the ten of swords in the tarot deck is the sex octopus. The sex octopus. I mean, I suppose the eight of swords would be the sex octopus. Yeah. But like you know, let's give, let's say there's two more because, you know, like each each tentacle like has a different nervous system. Alex told oh, me. Wow. So like each tentacle has a brain. That's amazing. I did not know that. Yeah, it's the most threatening symbol to like masculinity and the patriarchy that could possibly exist and I'm going to start some kind of company and have a sex octopus as the logo I'll be your first customer whatever you're selling I'm buying (laughs) (laughs) um so tell me your next recommendation okay so my next and final recommendation on Shutter at this time is antiviral I Um, love that film I love this film so much. This is actually a rewatch for me, uh, but I couldn't help it because I'm a big, big fan of not only uh, Brandon Cronenberg, who's obviously the director of this film, but also, of course, his papa, David Cronenberg. So we know that uh, Brandon now has a new film coming out, which actually showed at the Berlin Film Festival Possessor. Um, Yeah, so this is going to be his second feature film. Um, so I'm really excited to see that. So I kind of wanted to like get myself into the hype of seeing his next film by rewatching his first one. This one is, um, it's, it's a really trippy kind of like horror sci-fi film about an employee at a clinic that sells injections of live viruses (laughs) harvested from sick celebrities to obsessed fans. So I felt like it was also super relevant during the Mm -hmm. pandemic um, (laughs) to watch a horror movie about a virus. But I just really love everything about this movie. I love how it looks. Uh, It is really creepy and uncanny. Basically, um, obsessed fans going around wanting to ingest the sicknesses of their idols and what's really funny about it is that the celebrities themselves are really kind of generic like reality tv stars they're they're not even really like iconic movie stars they're just kind of (laughs) like you know someone you might see on like real housewives or something Um, oh that's funny yeah you're right I hadn't really thought about that before but you're right and how like people just become so fixated on wanting to get closer to the people they idolize by wanting to reflect the symptoms of a physical illness that the celebrity has. So it's kind of like feeling they're like in communion with that person. It almost has a, a lot of religious undertones, this movie, like this feeling like you're at one with your idol because you have the same symptom and suffering in the same way as them brings you closer to them and the pain element and the pathology element being somehow holy and 
it sort of follows in the tradition of his father's like body horror subgenre, which I love. I absolutely love. It's you could be it could be a pretty good double bill with Videodrome, I would feel. Mm-hmm. So I like the vision of this director and I'm looking forward to seeing his next one. Yeah, me too. The vision is amazing. He's got such an incredible aesthetic. Caleb Landry Jones plays the main character, Sid March. This actor is so, he, he is really scary. Like, I, I mean that in a good way. Like he's mm. able to convey horror in a really unique way because he was in Get Out. Do yeah, you remember? Probably best known as the brother in Get Out. Exactly. So it's a really good cast. I strongly recommend this one if you've got Shudder. Mm-hmm. definitely watch it it's really really good what about um, your last one so my last one is quite an old film which I never got a chance to watch and it's Dark Water um, which I haven't seen before I kind of just dismissed it as another dead wet Japanese girl film um, because there, that is that sort of trope and I love The Ring obviously we've done the American version of The Ring on the podcast before I've chosen kind of three isolated women films I wonder why. That's true. Yeah. And this is another mother-daughter film. This is a film about a divorced Japanese woman, a woman going through a divorce and going through a custody hearing, um, who needs to find somewhere to live so that she can um, qualify for sole custody. Um, And she moves into this and moves in quite a rush into this house. Like you, I also like horror movies about houses and flats and living places. Mm. And there is this patch of water on the ceiling which the estate agent knows is there but manages to hide from her Um, and it gets like bigger and bigger and more malevolent as the film progresses Um, (laughs) and so she's dealing with like this very kind of this very like aggressive ex-husband that's trying to sue for sole custody even though he doesn't really look up like you know look after their daughter Um, she has she's sort of trying to prove herself and earn money and find a place for them to live all of these things that you all of these kind of new challenges that emerge when you suddenly become a single parent Mm. Um, all of these like new ways so to a certain extent the things happening in the building could be a result of that stress and at one point you see that the husband's doing things to like unnerve her because his hope is that she will be sort of certified as like unfit to look after her daughter and he brings mm-hmm. up some time she spent in psychiatric care, um, which is for a very interesting reason. It's because she's a proofreader and she was reading like horror books okay. and they disturbed her so much. She had to go into psychiatric care, uh, which I really like as a as a reason, mm. um, as like a reason for sort of like this kind of. And there's she's also got this sort of backstory of her being like there's this kind of repeated image of her daughter being left at school while she goes about her life and tries to be good enough and she has this she has this memory of being left at school for like this unknown reason and not being picked up um and then this water mm. just like continues to like invade the flat and invade her memories and it rains all the time everywhere um and then the water is sort of coming from this upstairs flat that has this like dark secret, dark past attached to it. Um, I just thought it was really good, and it was really—it's not particularly scary. Um, mm-hmm. It doesn't—it didn't scare me very much. It wasn't like um, the ring where you have these sort of like terrifying moments. Um, yeah. But it was very actually quite similar to the ring, I would say, in, in like the sense of a mother failing. 
responding to a situation with like these motherly feelings yeah I thought it was an interesting I think I'm very interested like you in films about houses at the moment in films about you know the kind of desires and dreams and aspirations that people impose upon a place um the place they live especially not having anywhere to live (laughs) at the moment um, and, and, the, and the house itself kind of taking on the psychological dimension of yourself, like with the different compartments and you move around it and it's like you're trying to f- navigate this space, which is really you, a bit like repulsion or even mother. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true, actually. Yeah, yeah. They, there's like a whole genre, like you could do a whole series on house films. House films. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I really like that. OK, that's going on my uh, watch list as well. Cool. Um, what else is on your watch list? Because we've got okay. it's one of those things when you get a free streaming service <laughs> and then you can't choose. So you just watch nothing, which I've been doing quite a lot this week. Or like I can't choose anything from my free selection of films. Poor me, middle class problem. <laughs> um, so I'll just go on Google and like buy one that I just that I just that just <laughs> sprang out of my head that I decided I wanted to watch, like that Showgirls documentary again. Pandemic problems. Pandemic problems. <laughs> Okay, I've got on my radar on Shudder, Sunchoke. Mm-hmm. I've got that uh, too. I've got One Cut of the Dead. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, I watched that. It was really good. Oh, you good. did watch that. Oh, you recommend that? I recommend it. It's um, it. I was I was really curious because so many people, you know, I know Mike's reviewed it and so many people have talked about it. It really cheered me up, actually. I thought it was quite, yeah, quite sweet. Oh, um, wow. Yeah, I, I really liked it. Okay, I need to see that then. Um, I've got Sisters, which is a kind of remake with the, uh, with I think it's Chloe Savigny. Yeah, I'm desperate to see that. It's on my list as well. I'm so excited. Me too. I've got Therapy, which I don't think it's actually about psychotherapy. I don't know what it's about. I'm kind of like going into it completely blind. I'm just going on a title. Oh, interesting. I missed that. I'm going to have to add it to my list. Yeah, Therapy. And then the final one I've got is Get My Gun. Okay, I've got so many. Okay, tell so, me yours. Okay, so I've got The Baby, which Ooh. is like an exploitation film from the 60s that I've always been slightly scared of watching um, about these like women who have like an adult man who they've like psychologically tortured into being a baby <laughs> in their house. <laughs> and I think they're like depending on him for like welfare checks or something. And it just seems... seems so gross and I really want to watch it but I'm also really scared of being grossed out um so oh my god nice. um I've got body at Brighton Rock which is about oh, yeah. a police officer that has to stay with a body until backup arrives uh that looks really it's just like it looks like a good premise um yeah. I actually also watched horror noir which yes. is um like a history of black horror which is really good and gives you even more watch inspiration because they they just cover so many good films. Um, on mm. your recommendation, I've got The Devil's Candy. Oh my god, that is so good. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to seeing that. Um, I've got this film VHS, which I've heard is oh, really scary. Yeah. Okay, I need to add that to my list too. Yeah, that looks good. Um, I'm like scrolling through, just trying to pick some. I've got one called Sweet Sweet Lonely Girl, which I picked entirely on the title. Oh, I love that title. Uh, yeah, kind of has like Poison for the Fairies vibes. Yes. Um, so that looks very good. There, I've got so many. Oh, I've got Robert Altman's images on my of list. Of course. 
Um, it's got a lot of like really great classics on it that I've been meaning to watch for a long time. Um, and then the other one I've got is Dearest Sister. Oh, okay. A young woman named Nock is sent for, to care for Anna, a blind relative who's been having scary supernatural visitations. Nock tries to keep tries her best to keep the ghost from harming her dearest sister until she realizes the spirits tell Anna winning lottery numbers that Nock can use to rise above her station. As Nock and Anna's relationship changes, director Matty Doe quietly shifts the horror from ghouls to greed, capitalism, and the class divide. Ooh. Um, Leos, only horror director and female filmmaker, vaults into the ranks of the world's best new horror makers with her powerful second feature. It's called Dearest Sister. That's probably the one I'm going to watch next. Yeah, I think I'm going to give that a go too. It looks really good. Um, yeah, I'm very excited. Oh, so many great films on Shudder. There's so, so many good titles on there. And actually, I just remembered another one too that I want to see. It's called um, The Corpse of Anna Fritz. Oh, yeah. Um, I read about this, but I was a bit worried because to me it sounded like just such a horrible, just such a horrible premise that I was a bit nervous. Um, but now you can watch it and you can tell yes. me. <laughs> oh, you know what? Scrolling down, I can also see that um, Tetsuo, the Iron Man, is on here. Um, oh, really? Have you seen it? No. <gasps> oh my god, I actually wish I talked about this. It's one of my three. It's Seriously? amazing. It's amazing. It's like completely experimental. I went to see it on a date. Alex took me. Yeah. Um and it was just the most bonkers like hour. It's not very long. I think it's only like an hour long. But it was like the most bonkers hour of my life. It's one of the most bonkers films I've ever seen, but it's so good. It's like you know, sometimes like like Daisies, I think, is an example of one of these films. But you get films that make you they're like low budget films, but they're so good. They make you feel like you could be a filmmaker. Oh, wow. I, the Iron Man is one of those. I really can't wait to see what you think. It's so good. Oh, my God. I can't wait to see you. Oh, this is such a good thing. Thank you, Shudder. I'm definitely going to keep the subscription on for longer than 30 days me too me too because I've discovered so many good things and I want to keep kind of like adding to my list yeah and I also just kind of want to give back to the company that, that you know opened me up to all of these films it feels very kind of curated to a certain extent and I know that I said before that it's got like the good the bad the indifferent but that it that's what makes it feeling like curated you know, it's sort of like people's guilty, ple- someone's like guilty pleasures and someone's like the things that they wish they could make someone else sit down and watch and, and that kind of thing. It has a lot of great films in it, but it hasn't got so many that you feel like you don't even want to try, I yeah. suppose, which I, th- I feel like a lot. Yeah. And I think with Netflix, the reason that I always cancel my subscription is because I don't want to be overwhelmed with a load of TV shows. <laughs> Um, I just want to watch films and this gives me the opportunity to just watch films I think it has got a few tv shows on there but they're like documentary series and things like that yeah 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 yeah. it feels more responsible like somehow responsible I know that's a really strange thing to say but there is a moral element to making a streaming service like you like not maybe morals not the right word but you can you can like put content you can choose content responsibly and not just overwhelm people with stuff that will make them feel bad after watching it for nine hours. 
like you know there's like you have like a responsibility for people's mental health and yeah to a certain extent yeah and the, given the fact that it's a horror streaming service like they've actually done a really good job of like containing the content in such mm-hmm. a way that it doesn't feel overwhelming and it feels manageable and it's it's very enjoyable I love the different subgenres they've got on there like I love that it's really diverse and there's something for everybody. Yeah, there really is. I am, um, and I just want to take this opportunity to say we're not being paid by Shudder. Yeah, <laughs> they don't know who we are. <laughs> <laughs> no. um, yeah, and I, I think we can prove that by the fact that we started off having a rant about the worst films <laughs> that we've seen this year. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, so, Mary, I will see, speak to you soon um, to yeah. start work on our new series. Yeah, I'm so excited. Um, but we've got a couple. We've got like at least one more bonus, um, bonus episode to drop that we recorded a while ago. Between yeah. this, so we're gonna keep being faithfully releasing content every two weeks, just like we always do. Yeah, absolutely. You'll keep uh, getting new material from us until we start season four. Oh my god, I can't believe we're on season four. I know it's so exciting and shout out to film stories for uh, recommending us as the film podcast of the week Mm -hmm. it's very flattering keep on following us on all socials you'll be hearing more from us soon Uh, tell us your recommendations too for quarantine watches Mm -hmm. yeah let us know what you liked on Shudder because maybe we've missed some and until next time remember we're looking out for you yeah we're here for you (laughs) we We are here best for you We want what's best for you during this quarantine. Thank God for technology. Thank God for technology. All right. See you soon. Bye.